everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 52, Daysham Blower. Big Chillians, welcome back, as always, to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Sam and Eddie. Boys, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Had a pretty decent weekend. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's a bit sad for me. Um, the National League playoff final, uh, Hartlepool versus Torquay United was on, and uh, obviously a hometown club. It was a shame to see us go out in penalties, but uh it was one of those games where it's obviously bad quality because of the league it's in, but it was exciting to watch. It was quite end-to-end, but uh, we're on the defeated side of a penalty shootout, so that sucks for that league. I mean, Sam, you kind of you've buried the lead in the story of that match, and also you and I spoke just after the match was over, and I said to you, oh, I, I saw that Hartlepool were 1-0 up, and then I saw it was an extra time and going to penalties. So I said, you must have scored really late, and you said, yeah, we Gordon, the 96th minute, you failed to mention that it was the goalkeeper who scored. No, I said it was Kovalan, the keeper. No, you, the might keeper said, where... you might have said Kovalan. You maybe not appreciate <laughs> the Eddie. fact that I've not memorized the, the Torquay team sheet. <laughs> uh, I thought you watched sport. You know what? It's fine. Yeah, the keeper. The keeper went up. Um... Sam, just to correct you, you're right. I do watch sport, and that's why I did not watch Hartlepool against <laughs> Torquay on Sunday. You don't watch pub teams play eddie you don't watch my division two indoor roller hockey team play every sunday probably would rather watch that than watch torquay oh come on is that is that truly how you feel at least he knows someone on the team probably probably in a way like if you told me that if you if simultaneously frank's league was streaming this roller hockey or Torquay were playing a match. A playoff final, okay, i probably go for the playoff final. But a random league match, I think I'm watching Frank. Just from an amusement factor, I think I'm watching Frank's roller roller hockey. I think that's better for Torquay, isn't it? That you're not watching it because you just want to see the amusement of Frank playing roller hockey? As yeah, I, to I, don't know, I don't know how I take that, Eddie. I'll yeah. take it as a compliment. I don't know if I'm supposed to. But in my head, I'm taking that as a compliment. Good. Thank you. But yeah, uh, sadly, another season for Torquay in the National League. It's a tough league to get out of, but the random draw of penalty shootouts. So actually, speaking of uh, roller hockey, I had a funny encounter when I went on Sunday. So there's a small bar and restaurant there. Not restaurant, like it's like a kitchen. You can get, you know, like burgers, wings, kind of like pub food. And I went in and there was someone eating... Uh, sonic at the bar which you're not supposed to obviously bring food in because they have a, a kitchen i was like oh what are you eating sonic for i thought you're not allowed he goes well there's quite the commotion going on in the kitchen so apparently the kitchen cook obviously not a chef the cook was asked to leave and kind of fired because she wasn't doing what she was supposed to but she was refusing to leave and instead was just continuing to make random food in the kitchen (laughs) so she was just putting up plates of food at like the little service window but she wasn't doing an absorbent amount 
of food and she wasn't doing like a little she was just like every five minutes would be a new double cheeseburger order or like a new pizza order or like chicken wings and it went on for hours so there was like stacks of food i no one wanted to tell her to stop how good is that i respect that move i'm a big fan of that move like i wouldn't hire her but i kind of i would be tempted to hire her Wait, did you say eating Sonic? What? What? Sonic. It's a fast food chain. Sonic Burgers. Oh, uh, okay. Not not the Sega game. Yeah, not eating just, what, what, just eat, slang word for the when, hedgehog. Or yeah, when you eat a hedgehog. <laughs> or the cartridge that the game was on. But I thought it was just such a amusing power move that she wasn't trying to bankrupt the place by just making two hundred wings at once, you know, and just throwing them out the window. She was just making a normal order of wings. Then a normal burger, then back to the wings. It's just so random. I, you, was, I was highly amused. When you said it was random bits of food, I honestly thought it was going to be like vindictive. Like it would be just like a kilogram of beef mints on a plate or something. Like no, that. that's what I mean. I that, didn't realize it would great. be like genuine food. Yeah, could be done. but no one was ordering it and no one was eating it. So it's just starting to pile slowly and slowly piling up. <laughs> so the other food store I have before we get on to sports. Just one more quick one. Actually does tie into sports. Is I saw I don't know if Sam knows, but a lot of the fantasy football leagues in the US, one of the big things, Sam, is if you get last, there's like a punishment involved with getting last. And some are crazy. I mean, they'll people have to get tattoos or, you know, do other crazy things. But the punishment for this league that I saw was that a person had to spend 24 hours in a Waffle House. Have you guys seen this article? No, but I've seen that punishment before. So, so you have 24 hours in a Waffle House, and for every waffle you eat, you can shed an hour off of your time. Yeah, I don't want to... This is going to make me sound like a 12-year-old, but I have seen uh, Dude Perfect, you know, who make the YouTube videos. They have done that. Like a couple of years ago. Wait, that doesn't seem. I, are, are the portion sizes big? Cause well, a waffle is like a plate-sized like... waffle, but oh, it's so you... thin. It's a thin waffle. It's not like a Belgium. It's like a really thin, almost like two pancakes size waffle. It's thin. Two American pancakes. Yes, because English pancakes are ba- are like crepes normally, right? Like oftentimes, yeah. yeah. So f- two fluffy pancakes. I would say like half the thickness of a normal Belgian waffle. Yeah. That's, that's so you need to eat 12 <laughs> servings of it and then you can go. That's the only you can get. 24. No, but I thought you shave an hour off if you have yeah. one. So Yeah, like, so you'd have 12 hours left. I, so if you had tw- so you could eat 24 in one go and just leave. Well, yeah, I guess if you'd say if you could <laughs> I guess eat 20, 23. 23 because it's going to take you at least an hour to eat 23 waffles. So the aim would probably <laughs> yeah. be about 20. Because if you gave yourself four hours to eat 20 waffles, that would still make you feel ridiculously ill. But, but. Couldn't you just like bring your iPad in and just sit there for a day? Like That doesn't seem too problematic. Yeah, the other issue with the Waffle House is it's not the greatest of establishments. It's kind of like a roadside <laughs> okay. trucker place. So it's okay. people who I are just like this idea now. We can stop off. We can just make Sam sit anywhere for 24 hours as long as we give him an iPad. <laughs> With an iPad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I could do it. Yeah. I've been in isolation for the past seven days. <laughs> in your house, Sam. 
With all the amenities and with with an iPad, with food, no, just that, an iPad, with just an iPad, with the food of your choice delivered to you. I mean, <laughs> let's not try and make it out. You've been <laughs> well, struggling here on in your lockdown. I ordered twenty four waffles. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. So the guy did two waffles the first hour, four by an hour and a half, and then he kind of hit a wall, and he eventually got to seven. Was the most he could do. That's kind of pathetic. I think it's harder than you'd think it would be. It's always like with any eating challenge, right? Because your stomach gets filled and it's not pleasant. Like there's, but I think I could comfortably do 10. Like I think if I set out my goal of like five hours, eat to an hour, I would be, I think I would feel comfortable. Yeah. Apparently you could also vomit as well. Oh, well, that's oh. Then I could just do it. I don't. I mean, like, I'd have a level You'd be of okay with throwing up three times. What? What are twenty-four hours, ready? <laughs> um, I've only thrown up from eating too much once. I kind of thought it. I think I thought it was. Wait, kind of wait, wait, wait! Time out. What was it? <laughs> it was at Bugsy's. I I did the wall of pork. Oh yeah. So yeah, it was a food eating challenge that they kind of were doing there for a while. Bugsy's being a bar and restaurant in Paris. And they, for a long time, served pork chops. So it was pork chops and mashed potatoes and gravy. And then they created this thing, the wall of pork, where they would also throw in sausages and bacon. And uh, it started with, you had two pork chops, two sausages, and two like rashers of bacon. And then gradually, every time someone ate another round of the wall of pork, the kind of the standard got lifted by one. Admittedly, it was only me and one other guy doing this. So it got to a point where I went there one day. I think I may have even told this story on the podcast before, so I apologize if I have. But I had nachos to start with because I wasn't planning on eating it that day. And then I got encouraged to eat the wall of pork, which at that time was four pork chops. So I ate an entire thing of nachos by myself. Then I ate, it was Four scoops of mashed potatoes, four pork chops, four sausages, four rashes of bacon and, and gravy. And the, like, then there weren't that many people in the bar. It was like a Sunday. And then the people behind the bar started encouraging me to have dessert. And I, I didn't feel like I could do it. But the bar kind of started chanting for me to get the dessert. And so then they brought on ice cream, like two brownies and some ice cream and some, some whipped cream. And I was also drinking pints during this, right? And I ate the dessert and my stomach just felt like, like I couldn't breathe almost. My stomach was so full. So then what I, an inside look our viewers are getting. So then I Eddie, paid. A I guy paid. sitting at a bar getting cheered on to eat brownies <laughs> with whipped cream. So then I got, so then I, I paid my tab. I walked out. I felt really, really awful. I got maybe 150 to 200 yards. This is Sunday. This is a Sunday evening, probably at around ten o'clock. There was a guy walking his dog. I was just walking down the street. I get pretty close to him, and then realize like I'm like no mask, right? Like I'm going no further, and I just emptied my stomach onto the sidewalk. At which point he was just horrified, and then I explained to him like, "No, no, no! Don't be worried. I'm not drunk. I've just eaten too much." And then... I'm just well, it could have come across worse if you're like, "No, no, no! Don't worry. I've just eaten a wall of pork." Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Sam, that's I was just cheered on. That's something you've said before, Sam. Eat brownies. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, and then the, the interesting thing about it, and this is the only, I instantly felt fine. 
So, you know, like... Did it's you the, go back for more? No, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> but I did instantly feel, I mean, I literally, everything came out of my stomach. And then I actually felt perfect in some respects, not to give, not to, ex, not to encourage anyone to become bulimic, but it did actually be like, wow, I just had all the satisfaction of eating with that. <laughs> this stuff's amazing. That's an amazing <laughs> idea. Why don't more people do this? Oh, God. <laughs> But no, I'm not trying to make light of eating disorders, but uh, I did genuinely feel great. <laughs> That's a great slogan for the campaign against <laughs> bulimia. <laughs> yeah. Feels great the first time, which I guess, look, lots of bad things do. It's probably the slogan for heroin. But, uh, but yeah, speaking of people who probably feel great after his disappointment from a couple of weeks ago, John Rahm. Riding high, having won the U.S. Open, produced the only person who really, uh, I guess, I guess Kepka kind of had a good final round. But fundamentally, it was just a bunch of players towards the top of the leaderboard who all, at best, stalled on Sunday. I think it is fair to say, the fact that Rom was able to win it at six under when the the leaders started the day at five under. I think uh, there's going to be a lot of players who look back on this U.S. Open and really see it as a missed opportunity. Because if you say that all you needed to do was shoot two or three under on a on the final Sunday of a major to win it, and you failed to do so, it's got to be disappointing. Yeah. Who's who's the most disappointed? Rory? Um, Shambeau. I think Deschambeau, because when he got to five under... And he had a lead and he had a couple of opportunities actually to like decent chances to then maybe get even further ahead. I think at that point he would have thought he was going to win it. And I actually thought at that moment he was definitely going to win it. And then within the space of three holes, he'd gone from potentially winning it to be just out of content. I mean, he produced two of the most disastrous holes I've seen and on the final Sunday of a major. So to have two of those on your back nine is pretty incredible. What an implosion. Uh, just a bad look for him, right? Because just from the head case standpoint, it just looks like he's not that mentally tough. Like that's the takeaway from that. Is it just because even when he dropped back, even when he was on like, even when he was on one under and the and you only had the leader at that time at five under and he had maybe four holes left and the the 18th, right, was the easiest hole in the course, the which, he, which he had eagled already in that part of you kind of thought it's not out of the question for you to get to five under here and then he hits and then he gets an eight so it's like okay now it is out of the question for you to get five under I, the more i watch him it's just i just keep disliking him more and more because one of the other things that keeps popping up now is he's that guy that has to have every different and unique thing known to man like this this round, his his spikes were different. He had different shoes on each foot. And he obviously, he's the only one on the tour that does that. So he's got to have to, because, oh, I know it's this advantage and blah, blah, blah. The way he puts, he's like, he has one of the weird putting motions. Yeah, it's, like, very, it's just, very ugly. His, yep, his, his grip on his driver. I don't know if you ever saw the grip on his driver, but it's not a standard golf grip. Like everything has to be different. It's so annoying after a while. Like I get if you do one thing differently, but every single thing about his game has to be different than everyone else's. 
Well, also, if you're going to wear two different shoes, you can't then slip multiple times that you hit your tee shots. Yeah. <laughs> which twice he slipped horrifically. The other thing that bothers me about him is he's the excuse guy, right? Like he's the guy who hits a bad shot and then he turns to his caddy and just like, oh, I don't know what happened. Oh, oh, this. I don't know what happened. Oh, this. And like everything, like you see the look on his caddy. His caddy's face looks like he's being held hostage during a round. Like he is just dragging that bag. He looks so unhappy. He's just like, okay, just rant at me for another 15 seconds while I clean clean this seven iron. And then I'm just going to take a few steps away from you and, and just focus on the skyline or whatever. But the, you know, that's the other thing about it. Now, I will say Sky was hoping for this and the Sky commentators. And I also really wanted it. There was a moment where it looked like you could have had a Kepka Deschambeau playoff. And that would have been amazing. Like that yeah. would have been just out of this world to watch them go but head to they, head in a playoff. But then they come out and they basically downplayed it. DeChambeau played that kind of rivalry a bit. And he just said it was the kind of sporting banter kind of thing. He has to. Because like, he's the asshole. I know, but he I, can't be like, oh, yeah, like, he does think I'm a total uh, dickhead. Double down. I, I would have thought double down on it, make it interesting. But no, he does though. I, I think he does because he he constantly says I'm taking the high road. That's his yeah. number one statement. He's like, I just continue to take the high road, but, which but again I, is the asshole thing to say when you are the asshole. <laughs> but the thing is, I think it it's kind of one way. Like I think it's just that Kepka thinks he's a dick, but like Bryson DeChambeau has no real reason apart from the fact that Kepka thinks he's a dick to dislike Kepka, right? Like. So it's hard for him to fire back in any way because every time the every incident in which Kepka's like commentate commenting on disliking Bryson, it's because of something Bryson's done. So it's because of slow play, or it's because when he tried to get have a ball a free drop because of ants, or it's you know like everything. It's just it's not like the two of them have had a disagreement on something. It's just being like I think this guy's an asshole and bad for golf. Yeah, the guy coming back from me like I, Brooks. Brooks thinks slow play is bad for golf. Slow play is great for golf. He also had a really bad look. Like Sky were killing him because he wasn't shouting four on his mishit drives, and he was one of the one of the, he hit two drives into the kind of gallery and said nothing, and the Sky commentators were just ripping into him. Being like, how can you hit a drive that you know is headed towards people and you say nothing? They're like, we should not be discussing this during a U.S. Open. This should not be something we have to talk about. And In then fact, cut- I think his playing partners would then end up yelling for, for Some, him. Because I remember on, on one of the drives, he didn't say anything. And then like off to the side, you heard, I forget who it was, being like, four, four. <laughs> yeah. I just don't get it. But... Just everything makes him look bad, but it, look, it's good for golf to have yeah, the... Like, that's it. We haven't spoken about Ram yet. Like, we, all we've done really is speak about the shampoo. I mean, we're talking about golf. Like, it's it's a kind of villain within the scene as well. Yeah, it's like it, they're kind of turning golf into like WWE, right? And Bryson DeChambeau is the heel. And sometimes you need the heel to just... Because if it's just... You know, golf is not the most enthralling sport. It's there's not a ton of personality. Like John Rahm is a pretty boring guy. Like he seems fun. I don't doubt that if you hung out with him, he seems quite nice and like kind of funny and stuff. But he's not exactly. He doesn't have like star power. 
Yeah, no, no, no. And that's why I think the Ryder Cup is such a good event because there's a lot of like stories going on with that event. There's a lot of uh, like baggage that goes into it, rivalries that have gone over time. Like that's why I think that part of golf is so good because there's always like subtext to some of the pairings and performances, etc. Yeah, some of it gets a little drawn out, right? Like, I just, I, you know, a Ryder Cup's going to roll around and Ian Poulter is going to be out there claiming he's the greatest Ryder Cup player of all time. <laughs> you know, like, you know what some of the stories are going to be about how he loves it and how it just, oh, you're going to have it him. fires him up. Yeah, talking about, all oh, the pressure and the crowds. I love it. I love it. I love it. Best golf I ever play. I love it. I love it. I love it. Like, some of the stories could maybe do with moving on. But... um no, I think overall it's pretty good for golf, but I really do want to see a situation where the two of them, I want to see the two yeah. of them on the final day of a major paired to, you know, tied tied for the lead, final pairing, just the two of them going at it. And then I want to almost see like if you're Bryson, do you try and piss Kepka? Like if you're if I'm him then I am doing the slow play. I am doing all the You're things. Stoking him. You yeah, I'm doing the all fire. the things yeah. I know will annoy him to try and put him off his game. He he has like pieces of tile that he puts in front of him when he walks. So every yeah. step he's just clicking and clacking, even if it's just grass. <laughs> he makes his caddy just yeah toss them in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> like the floor is lava. Yep. <laughs> Comes up with some theory where he's like, oh, do you know, you, it just, if you want to hit a great golf shot, the key is to not touch grass until you're actually swinging. What an annoying comment that would be as well. It wouldn't be far <laughs> off from his other quirky, stupid things he comes up with. Yeah. But look, John Rahm deserves credit. He clearly on the day played the, you know, had the best round. The putt that he sank on 18 to take the lead was a great putt. I and always think it's just, yeah, I always think it's disappointing for people, right, when they're not finishing it off. And so you still had uh, Luis Tazen, you know, on like the 14th hole at that point. So you kind of feel like maybe this is the winning putt, but it's not really the winning putt. So it, yeah. it's sort of how do you react and how does the crowd react? Because you could have the huge moment and it's like, well, Ustazen got to 800 in the end, so... No one even remembers it. Yeah. Interesting fact about Ustazen. This is his sixth runners-up in a major. I, th- I thought considering, what, he's won a couple, maybe? I think, what, the Masters, maybe the British Open. I thought he'd only won one. I can't, just won one, I thought. Is it just one? Yeah. Like, and it would have been the third be... longest the third longest time in between major wins ever. Yeah, because he won in 2010. 11 years, okay. almost. So to be runner-up six times is pretty unfortunate. Well, pretty impressive, pretty unfortunate at the same time. You know what, Sam? I feel a little little bit sorry for him, but you know what doesn't think it's unfortunate? His bank account. So as sorry as I am going to feel for Luis for for several runners-up in majors and only taking home the, you know, 1.2 million or whatever he gets for finishing second in the U.S. Open, I think I'll swap places. I'll take the disappointment of this. I'll take the heartbreak and... uh, you know, fly off in my private jet. See, now I know people also take slight issue with, with Rom being kind of loud and outspoken, but I don't mind that at all. Like the intensity he had when he sunk the punt on 17 and then again on 18. I mean, he was very adamant and I thought that was awesome to see, 
like the 17, he he gave like a good fist pump. And then on 18, he gave like the double fist pump scream. I don't mind that at all. I think that's cool to see someone show their emotions, but it's very different than how DeChambeau shows his emotions. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a very American way of celebrating that John Rahm has. I know he's been in the U.S. for a long time, but he has the very like pumped, yelling celebration, which is Tiger when you think... Yeah, but when it's just very American, like if, if anything, it's kind of what the Ryder Cup sort of also pits against each other, right? You have different styles and they're equally enthusiastic and can be equally annoying. I'm not saying one is necessarily better than the other, but there is a very different, like the idea of screaming loudly and being like, let's fucking go. Like that is such an American way of celebrating that you would just never get a European doing. Can you imagine like Montgomery doing that or Nick Faldo in the older times? Just be like, let's fucking have them. Yeah. So I think that's where it, I can get why it's a little bit off-putting because I don't love it, but it, it doesn't quite cross the line for me to be awful. But I would prefer just – I like I love the Jordan Spieth, just the – the fist pump and the point and the stare or whatever, just the intensity of a celebration, like quiet intensity to me is way better than screaming your lungs off. I don't know. I kind of like the idea, like not, not to the American extent, but I like the idea of like that kind of like burst outpouring burst of emotion. Cause obviously for Ram as well, it's been like a pretty weird couple of weeks, you know, basically having something taken away from you a couple of weeks before with COVID. Uh, what was it on the ninth? He had the ball that was called out of bounds, but actually later wasn't. So he had those moments where potentially it could have been over. So there was lots of moments where I felt like it was pimping, pepping up, pepping, boiling over. And um, <laughs> then you got to this 17th and 18th. You got to this like 17th and 18th where he birdies both of them. I, I can I can fully see it. I fully no, look, I'm not saying the guy's winning the U.S. Open. I'm not saying he shouldn't be excited. I'm just saying, if it were me, I don't think that would be my choice of celebration. He can celebrate however he wants. Would you um, just like pick up your, your yeah? He would just pick up his bag and like shot put swing it into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> don't need say, this driver he'd anymore. So, <laughs> Get so excited, he'd vomit next to the nearest dog. <laughs> Sorry, I ate too much, but um. Oh, okay, here's a question. It's here's not a question. because I won the U.S. Open, guys. Oh. It's not. I just ate too much. I shouldn't have had the eighth gammon steak on the tenth hole. Oh. Here's a question. I mean, gammon steak. What, could be, what an English statement that is. But could here's a question. Here's a question. Then, if you had to adopt, you're a golfer, and you have to take a sporting celebration from another sport and have it as your like. 18th hole so you could do the ronaldo the like leap and the arms down you could do the the lebron you know when he the, his, the robbie Keane, <laughs> the lebron you know where he did like the pump down with his hands as he lifted his knees up um i'll give you the alan share just the hand in the air and maybe run around a little bit with just the right arm raise <laughs> just running around the <laughs> what else could you go for what's some more iconic celebrations um, well, you're, you're missing a lot of football ones. So you have the maybe, Terrell Davis, the salute. Yeah. You have the, the Cam Newton, the Superman. The Superman's yeah. a pretty, pretty good, good one. one. The Superman sinking a putt and doing the Superman wouldn't actually yeah. not be that bad. I actually did that last weekend playing hockey. Uh-huh. Oh, now you've got to watch it. Okay, you can watch it over Talkie, Eddie. What, 
one that came to mind then was, well, it's a bit obscure, but do you remember Carson Yanker when he scored that goal against England when they lost 5-1? And he goes down on one knee and does the wag into the corner. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that one. What, doing that I to your opponent? Be... <laughs> yeah, just going on. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I do the Chef Kikuchi, the swan dive. That's it's a deep it's a deep reference for anyone, uh, but anyone listening, <laughs> I encourage you to go to YouTube, type in Chef Kikuchi. I'm now going to spell it for you because it's going to so S H E F K I is his first name, K U Q I as his second name. If you go to YouTube and you type that in, it's going to say celebration or swan dive or whatever as this suggested video, and he has. He did a lot of them well, but he has a few where he gets an incredible height and just crashes down on his chest. And the fact that he never injured himself doing this celebration is actually kind of incredible. I'm trying to think, what was that one in football where they, uh, like Gillingham or someone lower league, when they did the fish one, where they pretended to like reel him in? Oh, yeah. So you could get like the caddy doing that with him across the green. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could do you you could do the iconic Randy Moss when he moons everyone. Yeah, you could do yes, you could do that one. <laughs> yeah. Or you could do the Rob Gronkowski and do like the oh. really vicious spike, but you just spike your putter right into the green. You just oh, know you pick boy. you. You know you got to take your ball out of the hole and then just spike it into the Slam green. Slam it down. <laughs> or you could just do the Arnautovic one and just go up to a oh, camera. I'm racially abused. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, let's leave those ones out. But no, yeah, it would be interesting. I don't, I think that would be the quiet fist Ooh, bumper. I got another good one. Victor Cruz with the salsa dancing. That'd be pretty good. Oh, John Rom could do it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Only John Rom. Oh, maybe we should encourage golfers to be a little bit more creative with their their celebrations. I mean, look, remember, Emil Heskey scored that goal against Germany in the World Cup qualifier in 2001, and he putted. Uh, pretended to putt into the corner flag. So you want him just to pick up the goal ball and just belt it in? Yeah, pretend to be David Beckham. (laughs) Just sit it down like a free kick and just nail it into the first row spectators. It's okay as long as he yells four as he does it. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so good, good weekend for John Rahm. Not such a good weekend for Spain, though who had another disappointing draw. They now have two points from their opening two matches. Probably will. I mean, expectations are probably will still go through, but they've now put themselves in a situation where they could conceivably not be knocked out in the group stages, which for a team who were within their group, if you looked at the pre-tournament odds, right, on which we did on who will win their group, Spain were one of the heavier favorites because their group only has Poland, Slovakia, and Sweden. Um, but they do have maybe the good fortune of playing Slovakia in their final match. Assuming they win that, they are you know they're certain to go through. They are very very heavy favorites. They will they are the heaviest. They and Germany going into their final group matches are the heaviest favorites that the tournament has seen so far. What are they looking at? About one to four, like one to five, or Spain are two to eleven. And wow. uh, Germany are one to six. I think I've even seen them one to seven in places. Can you really take that two to eleven? I think the thing for Spain would be that in both of their draws, they have created a lot of chances. I mean, including obviously missing a penalty 
um, and then against Poland. You know, they lost that match against Poland. And if it weren't for a very good Robert Lewandowski header, uh, you know, they would have won it even without being more clinical. So you know that they're going to create five or six good goal-scoring opportunities against Slovakia. I think I would be amazed if they don't win. You know, who knows? Bigger bigger shocks have happened, but I would be, given the nature of the, you know, given the way they have played and that they have created chances. I did like, uh, I don't know if you saw the quote from Goretzka, the German player, after this weekend. He said uh, it was, no. I think it's the quote of the tournament. Maybe one of these quotes is going to last forever, but he said, it's great, you know, it's great to be back in a situation where we now have 82 million German managers instead of 82 million virologists. So just the shift, <laughs> the shift of expertise. Everyone is now being back to being the most knowledgeable football person they know rather than the most knowledgeable scientist. So I thought that was a really great quote. I bet, I bet you would find that a really great quote that everyone thinks they could be their, their club's manager. Yeah, but I don't claim to say I should work for the CDC. So I limit... <laughs> I may not know exactly what my lanes are, but I definitely know the lanes that are not mine. You could manage the CDC football team. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. <laughs> Only the CDC were more adventurous. Maybe COVID wouldn't have been a big thing. True. And speaking after, the obviously, that England rant, it's, uh, Sam and I were speaking before we started recording that, uh, recording the podcast, but the, there was mounting pressure, I guess, well... Mason Mount will not be involved in the next England game because he uh, there's a little bit of a little mini Chelsea uh, pandemic outbreak in, in the Euros. So Billy Gilmore, Mason Mount, and uh, Ben Chilwell will all miss their next matches be- after they all decided to hug each other. Um, you know, it was nice of Mason Mount and Ben Chilwell to put such an effort in to congratulate their opposition but their Chelsea teammate uh, after the disappointment on Friday. But growing pressure on Southgate to try and get Sancho involved. He's obviously yet to play a minute. And one of the big takeaways at the moment is just people asking, how could Sancho, a player who has created so much over the course of his relatively brief career so far, but basically creates or scold. If you combine the number of goals he scored and the number of assists he has, he basically, it's basically a one-to-one ratio for the number of appearances he's made for Dortmund. So then the question is, how can you have a player who is that heavily involved in goal-scoring opportunities, not even get on the pitch when you are struggling to create goal-scoring opportunities. Yeah, I think, what is it, the 180 minutes of football England have had, they've had three shots on target, and then you've got someone with that kind of uh, goal-assist, goal, kind of goal-to-involvement ratio right there for you. I, th- I think it's, it's, I think he's almost certain to start. It'd be extremely strange if he didn't. But, yeah, I mean, obviously it was, it was interesting of the Scots to bring kind of kind of some sort of chemical warfare into all of this right because everyone has widely lauded and praised praised Billy Gilmore's performance but he obviously threatened the England team with coughing on them a lot in the middle of the park because of his positive COVID test so unusual tactic but it seemed to pay off for Steve Clark yeah I mean I think it hurts Scotland more right than it hurts England because Scotland without Billy Gilmore after how good his performance was against England in in a crucial match against Croatia for them is is a is a bigger hurt than Ben Chilwell who hasn't been playing for England 
being out and Mason Mount, who they have ready-made replacements for. I mean, there was already pressure to get uh, Jack Grealish more heavily involved. And as we, Sam and I were also discussing, it's going to be interesting just what this means for the future of some of those players within this tournament. Not in the sense that they're going to be you know, removed from the squad, but just if you're Mason Mount, if Jack Grealish now comes into the side and they put in a really good performance against the Czech Republic, Mount might not get another look in. Because obviously Grealish has had a great England career so far. If he takes the bull by the horns tomorrow and creates, you know, looks as if he's going to help England create more chances, I don't see Mason Mount making his way back into the side. Eddie, Eddie, one of our listeners is very sensitive to you discussing Mason Mount in a negative way. So if you could just tone it down a bit i'll be appreciated thank you that listener also messaged me and said he wants to throw his hat in for the england manager role (laughs) we could do a joint role i'll I'll let listening i think he and i teaming up we could be england's first ever co-managers and i think uh i think we could probably get things working for england that that'd be so cute going going back to the (laughs) going back to the mount grealish but i mean if if Grealish starts and plays better and they have more scoring chances and get more goals, then isn't he deserving of it? I mean, regardless of, because to me, at least from my view, it's not as if Mount is this solidified, bona fide, you know, like starter. He's, you know, he's like the best there ever. I, I To me, isn't he just marginally better than Grealish anyway? You know, I think that's a fair comment, and I think it's a bit of a coin toss. Obviously, Mason Mount's form over the final six months of the season, and obviously then the success that Chelsea had during that period, is the reason why he comes into this as a starter. Also, just Grealish is a little bit injury prone, and even over the course of this tournament, has had to be sort of nursed through, um, you know, some training sessions and stuff. So there's question marks as to if you start Jack Grealish in games, can he finish them? And it's a downside, obviously, to go into a match thinking that you might be forced into making a substitution for non-tactical reasons. So, look, I I think if I were Southgate, I would have probably started Grealish in this match regardless. But now his hand... It's going to be interesting to see. He's, He's guaranteed... I mean, I think the discussion about whether or not Harry Kane should have been dropped is just a ridiculous one. The idea of just because of two unimpressive performances you drop the player who is clearly England's best player and best hope of scoring lots of goals this tournament and it's not as if Harry Kane has been missing chances okay he hasn't been helping the side to create them but he's had zero opportunities to score he's like you say he's the best player on the pitch there's been moments with the Croatia game and the Scotland game where he's just been double marked sometimes triple marked out of it as well which is well also people forget right the the, the, the England goal against Croatia comes from the level of attention that they're paying to Harry Kane. And the run that he then made off the ball is what freed up Sterling to be able to run into that space. So, you know, people have to think a little bit more that if you have Calvert-Lewin in that same situation against Croatia, then Sterling probably isn't able to make the run that he does because you just have the Croatian centre-back say, well, one of us can handle Calvert-Lewin. So I just, I, I look... If if Harry Kane, I think, you know, touched on, I Southgate, I think, was overly reluctant to remove Harry, to substitute Harry Kane in the 2018 World Cup. And there were just moments where he was clearly fatigued and needed to come off. 
that's fine. I'm all for him being subbed off in moments when it makes sense. But to think that he'd ever be dropped when he's not injured is just insane. I mean, I can't. People have such short-term memories when it comes to sports sometimes. It's just incredible. So how do you think that group ends up then? You you already hoisted your colours up with the guaranteed England victory in the last podcast. But yeah. what about the... I, I guess, you know, that leaves the checks on four. What happens in the Croatia game? I think Croatia will beat Scotland. I yeah. think that the experience of the Croatian side will just count. I think Billy Gilmore being out for Scotland is also a big miss. And then I also just think you have that element a little bit as if it's the, you know, the day after the Lord Mayor's show a little bit for Scotland that they have produced their performance of the tournament against England. And that in, and I don't, I mean this in the, in a respectful way, because I, if you're a Scottish supporter listening to this, this sounds tremendously disrespectful, but that was kind of their final against England at Wembley. And now you've got to pick yourselves back up and you've expended all of that energy, both emotionally and physically from getting that result. And now you've got to go again and play a good Croatia side who are not as good as England, but still are good and very, very experienced. And you know they're going to have all the tricks in the book out to try and make sure that they win against Scotland. And they're going to frustrate them. They're going to be physical. They're going to be ugly. You know, they're going to do all the things that they need to do to get a win. So I think Croatia will get will win in that. But I mean, the real story, you know, we haven't touched on Copa America very much, but the the real story is the new... South America, you know, the new star of South American football who has emerged over the last couple of weeks, which is Ben Brereton Diaz, who opened his account for Chile. And uh, I mean, just <laughs> what, what, what a former England under 21, you know, Chilean. <laughs> can't speak a single word of Spanish. <laughs> Can, you know, it's it's quite the story, it has to be said. Football's the language he speaks. No, it was actually a really good moment just to see him slot that ball in and uh, kind of... I mean, he's off. he's just just to give some more insight, Chile are currently 1-0 up against Uruguay and he set up their goal today. So he is actually having a very good... And it is an interesting one because he's playing in a role... I mean, at Blackburn, he often gets put out wide. He's he, You have the kind of... Uh, Adam Armstrong, who plays centrally, and then he gets sort of stuck out and the kind of wide left oftentimes. It's interesting Then he's then gone to the Copa America and is playing in a central role, attacking role, producing far more than he produces in the championship. Now, part of that is the time and the space that you're allowed in the Copa America versus what you're going to get in the in the championship. But it it is just interesting to see this player who I saw on the day he made his Chile debut, he gained, I think it was 50,000 Instagram followers. So he is just... It's this player who's barely known in England, but is now becoming this kind of minor celebrity in South America is quite bizarre. That's a really good story. You can imagine some of the Blackburn people where they're just off like this summer playing golf and he comes back with a potential Copper America winner's medal. Like That would be a pretty impressive summer. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, when when we had, um, you know, John Buckley on, he touched on the fact, too, that Kaminsky, the Blackburn goalkeeper, is in the Belgian squad as their one of their backup keepers. So you have this weird scenario in which this team that kind of struggled in the championship over the last season has some has the possibility of having one player come back with a European as a European champion. You know, there's a decent chance of that. Chile are at definitely outsiders for the Copa America, but you still have someone who's kind of starred a little bit already. And who knows, 
truly have won it in the past, it wouldn't be the biggest shock ever if they were to, to win it again. But I prefer it if the, they could each just save their successes for next season and, and have have their winner medals, winning medals then, not now. Man, Sam, if you want, I'll let you take a minute to talk about any Arsenal players that are doing well, just to so you guys can both cover your base. He doesn't need a minute for that. That's the thing. <laughs> we can we can just kind of go to the next topic. Saka's <laughs> like... been putting some great Instagram <laughs> stories up. Some good media performances from Saka. Yeah, yeah, very charming, very very charming. Tierney, <laughs> like that's enough. But we can compliment the real compliment we got to give to Sam, right? The Phoenix Sun, the reverse of the Duke of Curse, the the Squid Surprise. I don't know what I, I don't know what I can call it. That sounds a bit disgusting. But, <laughs> it sounds like uh, a meal at a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Squid Surprise is not a meal at a restaurant. It's not a. But, I didn't say it was a good one. <laughs> sounds like yeah, the Phoenix Sam's Tinder tagline. Yeah, the, as we touched on, the Phoenix Suns are in the Western Conference Finals. They'll be playing the LA Clippers, who are potentially without Kawhi Leonard for it's an indefinite period of time. So, and based on the odds, I have to say, if you according to Las Vegas, it's clear that Vegas, whatever inside information they may or not may not be getting, thinks that Kawhi Leonard is out for the entire season because they are rank outsiders to win this series. So you have to assume on that basis that they don't think Kawhi Leonard is going to be playing. And then on the other side in the Eastern well, the Conference... Well, have... the Suns already won the first game. Sure, but even but even there, you know, you're still... If, the, if they thought Kawhi Leonard was coming back in even game three, then I would say a healthy Kawhi makes the Clippers favorite in in any one individual game. Because even without Kawhi, they, they the game one was close. It required Devin Booker's, the best game of his career, in order, for, in order for the Suns to win that. So, And on the other side of things, you got uh, the Milwaukee Bucks against the Atlanta Hawks after the Hawks, I think, kind of surprised everyone and knocked the Sixers out last night in game seven. And uh, the Bucks also won their game seven against the Nets. Um, pretty little thriller there with an overtime with... Kevin Durant hitting what looked like it might have been the game winner, but instead his toe was on the line, so it then went to overtime, and and uh, the, the Bucks prevailed. And then uh, the Hawks just – I don't know. Frank, you're more likely to see this. Did you see the Ben Simmons performance from that game seven with him passing up that dunk to, yes. to try and get – I mean, that was pathetic. Yeah, that was really bad. Even Joel Embiid was – did you see his reaction? He yeah. gave like the complete hands up as if, you know, what the hell are you doing right now? He is uh, that getting honestly, roasted. He has been getting roasted all series, Ben uh, Simmons. That honestly, Sam, I'll send you the clip afterwards. It's what I would imagine if I dumped you onto an NBA court and like threw you the ball in the kind of <laughs> low post under the hoop and... It was like, Sam, lay up. And instead you just like panicked and you were like, I'll give it to someone else, please, please. <laughs> who, who else knows what they're doing here? Yeah. That, I mean, that's the only explanation you can kind of have because anyone who's played, like just the insight it gives into the state of mind and the lack of confidence you have to have in yourself there, like that's, I almost feel sorry for him 
because it just shows you that he just does not believe that he can score points. No. And I mean, especially playing in Philly, right? You're going to catch so much heat and he has been on the hot seat all playoffs. So I'm sure he is feeling it and that you're right. That's a great insight into what that can do to a person because there is no way he should have ever gotten rid of that ball. Now, the interesting storyline that I haven't actually I listen to and read a lot about the NBA and obviously I watch the games. The storyline that I haven't heard heard being discussed at all, really, is that obviously now this is with the Hawks making it through to the Eastern Conference Finals means Trey Young is 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 leading them there in his third year in the NBA. The the big debate was obviously that the Hawks could have had Luka Doncic and instead took Trey Young. And they've been killed for the last three years over the fact that Luka Doncic is supposed to be, you know, has the possibility of going down as one of the game's greatest ever players. And instead they've got Trey Young, who's good and serviceable, but not on that level. Now, I don't think they're going to win the NBA title, but just say hypothetically they win this year. Does that then justify, like, can you even kill them anymore for the pick? I mean, and that's him winning in spite of uh, what's his face winning MVP this year, right? So it'd be like a great contrast. Yeah, and and and, and just I guess you know. So for people maybe who aren't, I know we've got more say NFL listeners. It's the idea of if you passed on uh, Patrick Mahomes, say, and that's a huge compliment to to Doncic, but like say you passed on Mahomes. And Mahomes at this moment in time had yet to win a Super Bowl, but is putting in the Mahomes level of performances without actually winning it. And then you drafted a different quarterback. You've got the kind of Jimmy Garoppolo figure. Sure. Is yeah. that too good? That might be too that might be too good. <laughs> uh he's a big question mark. Uh let's say Lamar Jackson. Because Lamar Jackson kind of He already he's won good. MVP though, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think the feeling with Lamar would be like, he's good, but he's not there, right? Like people kind of feel like there is a ceiling there that's going to, he's never going to be, he's never going to enter the debate as potentially one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And I think people have already decided that. No matter what he goes on to do in his career, people have fundamentally now think, we know what your limitations are. So even if you put up incredible stats and even if you win things, you're not there. And I kind of feel like Trey Young is at that level. So like say the Chiefs had never won the Super Bowl and then the Ravens had won it with Lamar. Like does that justify the Lamar pick if they had if the scenario had been the same and they'd taken Lamar over the possibility of having Mahomes? How surprising is the Hawks being there? Pretty pretty surprising. I mean, the thing is the Eastern Conference just kind of fell apart, right? Because the Nets Clearly, the Nets are the best team in basketball, and they just felt they just had too many injuries. So, with Kyrie Irving and James Harden being hurt, other if if the Nets were still in, this would be a foregone conclusion. If they were healthy, none of these teams could stand a chance against them. I mean, they nearly knocked the Bucks out with two of those players not featuring. Basically, I mean, James Harden was there to I don't even know why to just be a chubby three point shooter, but. <laughs> The, I mean, but the, I guess the bigger surprise, it's, I mean, the storyline of all of this is kind of the injuries. The Suns wouldn't be there without the 
Anthony Davis injury. I mean, that series looked over against the Lakers. So it's 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 hard because and and that's I always feel it's tough because you feel you're being kind of disrespectful to those teams because they still have to win games and they've played well. But it does feel a little bit like there's going to be a major asterisk on whoever ends up winning this title. I mean, we've spoken about it before with NFL. So, like, I guess it's legacy versus actual, you know, rings or titles. Um, I, I, would, I wouldn't be able to kind of comment on the actualities of, like, which one is better or which one will be foreseen. But, I mean, as a player and a team, like, and a fan, surely it's always about the, the titles than it is about any sort of legacy because ultimately I think legacies can be easily forgotten if you've won nothing to support it. Whereas someone might be looked at more favorably because they've won titles, even if the career maybe maybe they'll come across as like an effective player. Whereas someone may have been like a has been kind of player. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'd I'd probably go for titles over like quality. It's an interesting question, right? Just for any sport, would you rather week in, week out, feel like you're watching greatness? Or would you rather have your team win things? Like, which which brings you more pleasure as a fan? Yeah, no, it's true. It's, it's, a, good, it's a good question. And then I was even thinking from a financial aspect, do you think an organization benefits more from winning two or three championships Versus having a player like Mahomes, who is world renowned, even if they don't win, you know, the type of money and fame you can bring in from that. That's a pretty good question, too. Like, I, I would like to see some, you know, it'd be interesting if there's statistics on that as well. Yeah. And I think probably if you're a smaller market, like if you are the Chiefs, you benefit more from having Mahomes than you do from winning things. Like, maybe if you're the New York Giants or whatever, and you, the revenue is kind of going to be there no matter what, you're better off winning something. But if you if you are bringing attention that would just never be falling on your franchise normally to you, then you're probably better having off having that superstar player. Well, I think actually this the argument you're bringing up, the Luka versus the Trey Young is a great one because, I mean, you have the Atlanta Hawks. If you had Luka instead, you have worldwide recognition there, you know, whereas I'm sure there's a lot of people who have no idea who's on the Atlanta Hawks outside of the United States, but everyone, but think of all the people worldwide that have like a Luca Dallas Mavericks Jersey, right? Yeah. Yeah, no. And also for them, it works really well, right? Because they're kind of building a reputation as having the best European player. Because obviously coming on the heels of having had Dirk Nowitzki. So you have this now kind of Dallas becomes this place where if you are a fan of European basketball, they are the team in the same way that like being in, in France, French NBA fans love the Spurs because of the Tony Parker connection. And that stayed even post Tony Parker. You, you can start to kind of build this idea if you're a European fan of like, oh, well, my entire life, basically, Mavericks have had a star European player. So that's a natural th- team for me to support. 
that's quite an interesting point. You know, how far does the kind of calculations and the marketing go around when you put these people on? Do you do you start thinking about that kind of legacy and think therefore shirt sales are X in a market where others won't have that because of this pick? Like, does it go that deep? I mean, people have always accused, right? Like, you're uh, in European football of clubs signing Asian players purely for the purposes of building, like, gaining a foothold in Korea or in China or in Japan. Sometimes it's worked out really well. If you have Parchi Sung, then that's different to if you end up having some guy who never makes it, actually sort of just plays a squad role and never actually makes it on. But, um, yeah, I, it's, when we have future owners, these are questions we'll have to put to them. I have to go even more. That might be for a repeat appearance of an owner because it is getting quite detailed into the business. <laughs> First question, <story>. direct. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations on buying the Chicago Bulls. So are you going to go out of your way to intentionally draft European players to try and grow the the, the Chicago Bulls footprint in the in Europe? I think with a legacy, it's always interesting when you watch when it's not with your club sometimes, if that makes sense. Like, you know, you see this Ronaldo, Messi, you know, even if you want to bring like Lewandowski, Neymar, they have, they're not in the Premier League. So you kind of see it happening separately, this kind of soap opera of records been broken and et cetera. And it's very exciting to watch the legacy and the history that we know that those players are going to kind of bring with them. And then would people trade that if it felt like they were going to have more consistent titles? Like, would they get rid of those kind of players? Like, um, you know, would you get rid of Ronaldo if then there was more team cohesion, for example, and therefore you had more chance? I think most people would say yes. They'd be way more pragmatic about their club to achieve title success, cup success, but be more happy to kind of watch the legacy footballers maybe somewhere else. I don't know. Like, I think of the teams I supported. I take such pride in having had those kind of geniuses that you've had that opportunity to watch. I feel feel very possessive over that they you had this unique experience. Like, if, if the person plays elsewhere, it's not your experience. Like, me, I've never... Watching Messi has never been my experience. It has been me just watching football along with the rest of the world. It, and the same with Ronaldo. However, I got watching two guy was my experience. Everyone could tune in and watch it, but no one got to experience it in the same way as you do if that's the player you are supporting, that you feel invested in and that you feel kind of part of almost. This is a very interesting topic. Thanks. <laughs> I'm glad we do aim to have our conversations. No, just the more I think about it, because like I take your point. Like when I look at some of the superstars that I grew up with in the Arsenal team, like Bergkamp, for example. Like, I agree with you. The fact is it was very special to have that player involved in a part of Arsenal's kind of like triumphs over that time. So I don't know. And I think to go to go further, I think you would tell people, like I got to witness Dennis Bergkamp's brilliance or Thierry Henry's brilliance just as much as you did. Like I could watch every match. I could I can watch every highlight. I can watch his goal against Newcastle and debate whether or not it was intentional. I can watch uh, Thierry Henry's goal against Manchester United and the Wazab celebration afterwards. You know, I can watch all of those things. But and as much as I can appreciate the genius involved, I think an, as an Arsenal supporter, you would tell me I watched it, but I didn't experience it because like that, the feeling of it's like it's yours. 
right? Like it wasn't mine. And so I think that's like, that's the beauty of being a supporter of a particular team versus just being someone who likes a sport. Like it blows my mind when I talk to people who just say, I love watching football, but I don't have a team. Like I watch the Euros, but I don't have any team I support. Like, I don't know how you can kind of do it. Like I love watching games as a neutral, but it's not the same as watching your team. I I also can't understand that. Wait, I want I want to counter though, because maybe it's an American versus a non-American mindset. Because for instance, I love Patrick Mahomes and I am not at all a Chiefs fan, but I will sit and watch every game Mahomes plays just because I love to watch him play. But because I'm not a Chiefs fan, does that mean I, I'm not living in it or appreciating it as much? I, I don't think so. You can you can be appreciating it just as much. You can't be experiencing it just as much though. Like but take why? as a Giants take as a <laughs> Giants fan the the Tyree catch in the Super Bowl. Like I can watch that play and think that's one of the craziest plays in football I've ever seen. A play I'll never forget. I'm not a Giants fan. I'm not a Patriots fan. I can still remember like Eli escaping the pocket, the hands all over his jersey, making the throw, the players going up for the catch coming down on the helmet i can remember it pretty perfectly but and i saw it went like oh my god i've never seen a play like this but i didn't get experience of like like as if it was almost your catch like i didn't get that and to me that's what's the beauty of supporting a team or a nation or a player in a sport is like at that moment on in a fraction of a way it gets to feel like it's your achievement. And that's what kind of supporting is, right? Like you're kind of getting this right to claim, like to say we or us, like we're going to play them tomorrow. At at times that can be annoying, but fundamentally what it's saying is like you've made this emotional investment into a person or an organization that then gives you kind of part of the credit for its achievements. And if you don't have that, all you are is just the spectator. It's just me going to watch Star Wars and going, I liked that movie. I don't get to be like, I I was flying, you know, the Millennium Falcon. Like, I don't get to do that. But, and they're equally insane concepts. But for me, like, it just feels it like... And I love watching Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi play football. Like I love it. I I think it's great. I'm it's a I've been fortunate to live in the era in which they've played, but I don't think I've experienced it in the same way that a lifelong Barcelona fan I will think, have. Frank, I think your point is American. The more I think about it, because I start thinking about those moments where footballers have made transitions to rival clubs, and they have become basically hated. Like you're never going to hate Mahomes if he leaves the Chiefs. Like, you're still going to follow him. You're going to track that kind of, like, cult of personality around the player. A Chiefs fan might, though. But, you know, like, I then think of... Well, a a good one would be Brady and the Patriots. That would be a good one to to pull some people on. Do people now hate Brady because he's no longer on? The Patriots fans now hate Brady. I think they respect the service. But you look at someone like Louis Louis Figo, you know, when he made the, the, the cross from, uh, what was it, uh, Real Madrid to Barcelona, or Sol Campbell when he left Spurs and went to Arsenal. Yeah, but, pe- but like people hated Johnny Damon when he went from the Red Sox to the Yankees. 
So like you can cross, I think there are fewer lines in the sand in the US ports that you can't cross, but there are some of them that you cannot do and really come back from. So I, they're just not as many, like in European football, they're kind of everywhere, right? Like in the Premier League, there's, there is one team out there where you couldn't, fans would feel as if you betrayed them by going like, you have Blackburn supporter, you go and play for Burnley. Oh, well, you're a Judas. But like, you don't have that. It's not like if you're playing for the New York Giants and you go and sign for the Buccaneers, people are like, oh, how could you go to the Buccaneers? But, but yeah. But we've also talked about this before, though, too, like with jersey sales and everything, where I think you think it's not crazy, but a little weird that when I was younger, I had maybe, you know, 20, 25 jerseys and it wasn't of one team. It would just be of players because I enjoyed watching those players and didn't care so much who they were playing for. And I think that is an American concept for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's becoming more and more. I mean, this is the whole part of the argument behind the European Super League, right? This was their reasoning was that younger people don't care so much about teams and they're following players and they want to see superstars and it's the kind of FIFAization of uh, football and that you know, like that people are just playing ultimate teams and they don't care anymore. They just want to watch Holland play. They don't care about Dortmund, and um. So I do think that's a bit more American, but look, I just think if you spoke to a Patriots fan about what the experience was like of having, of like living the Tom Brady experience, I think they would feel so possessive and feel as if they were part of it in a way that I enjoyed watching Tom play and still enjoy watching Tom Brady play football. And again, loved a lot of his performances I think, again, I've been fortunate to live in the era in which he has played in the NFL, but I didn't get to feel as if I was part of it. And I think if you were a Patriots fan, particularly if you're a Patriots fan, maybe slightly older than us. So you were there and, you know, like from say, if you were, you know, in your teens when from the late sort of late nineties, early two thousands onwards. And then you really felt like maybe you got a little bit of the misery before and then got to experience him coming in as a young player. I think that you would feel like you've got a fraction of a ring in a way that I don't. But then I guess the real question is, do you? (laughs) Do you have a fraction of of a ring or are you just crazy and delusional? (laughs) I I mean, look, you kind of do because it always comes back to, yeah, the players, you know, it's they don't a lot of times the players don't care, like whether they're playing for the Patriots or the Giants or Manchester United or Barcelona, like whoever's paying the salary, they don't really they don't really care one way or the other. But fundamentally, the only reason why any of this exists is because people care way more than they should about what these arbitrary sporting organizations achieve. If it weren't for that fact, none of these players would be doing it for a living and they certainly wouldn't be getting paid the amounts of money that they are. Like, you know, if all of a sudden tomorrow, Frank, you or Sunday, you turned up for your roller hockey league and some weird twist of the universe has meant that suddenly there are a million people in the world who really, really, really care about your roller hockey team then it would be life-changing for you and they would probably deserve to say that they are partially responsible for the way in which it has impacted your life. That would be crazy because you can only fit about 70 people in that place. 
<laughs> wow, you do. In- now, cows. look, and I know my opinions on this are really inconsistent because, like, I don't feel I I feel as if that getting to take a little bit of the credit is unique to sports because I don't feel that way about movies. Like, I don't think you could go to George Lucas and claim that, hey, you contributed to the, to like this whole Star Wars experience because you were there from day one by you know, back in this in like 79 or whenever that first movie came out. You were there buying tickets when no one else really knew what this was. And I don't think you can like an Apple fanboy can't be like, oh, I deserve some success because I rode the I rode through the hard times of Apple, you know, but I was there. I was there when everything started to get better. So it's it my opinion is going to be inconsistent and and unique to sports but i do i do feel that way like i'll tell you to tell you how extreme i think this view is take with my support of blackburn rovers say blackburn were promoted to the premier league next season say they had a leicester city kind of story develop and say then a sim, a player gets signed they get promoted next year and then next summer they sign a player and he he ends up starting for them all thirty eight matches the following season in the Premier League. He's not a star player, but he's a, you know he's always there. And they win the Premier League. Part of me would feel genuinely as if my lifelong contribution to the club will have been more significant in them winning the Premier League than the thirty eight matches he's played for the team. And this is why you're insane. How how do you quantify that? You can't. Because like, part of me would feel, I can't really, but part of me would feel as if, look, if I had given up, if all of us had given up, if we'd given up when the team was in League One, if we'd given up when the team was struggling in the championship, if we'd given up at any of these stages, the platform would not have been there for you to join and do your thing for 12 months. So the fact, I have made a lifelong, like I've made a decision as a, not consciously, but as a five, six-year-old made a decision that I'm there, you know, till death do us part is, is the, the vow I have made to Blackburn Rovers. And that without another 100,000, 200,000, whatever it is, people like me, there would never be that opportunity for the club to achieve that in the future. Do you think that's easier to say because Blackburn are a smaller club, so your involvement is more, you know, whereas someone from I've got, Barcelona... I've got more equity. I've got more equity. Yeah. You know, like I've got I've got one percent of Blackburn Rovers, and if you're a Barcelona supporter, you've got zero point zero 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 one percent. So I think yes, because you'd have to convince yourself like a lot more people have to jump ship in order for the Barcelona ship to sink. Whereas with Blackburn Rovers, it's not gonna take that much for the for it to be too much of a shift that the club can't come back from. I know it's insane. But I genuinely feel it. I think it's born of sentiment and emotion, though. And ultimately, it's kind of hard sometimes to argue against that. Because, like you say, you get caught up in these moments. And you're because you're there from the start, you have this sense of like timeline and journey culminating in that moment. And you can't really... Look, it's sentiment, it's emotion. Like these clubs have been around for over a hundred years. They've been built and established in the same place, in the same communities, etc. So I can understand that feeling of like connected and community with them. So I don't I think it's a little bit insane, but I can kind of see where it's born from at least. Wow, I guess we can 
Frank, I can ask you then to give us a, a slight update on the NHL situation with both series tied at two, right? I have not watched any of these games, um, but uh, Sam's hopes of not nailing his Stanley Cup playoff predictions, but certainly doing pretty well, rely on the Canadians pulling out this series against Vegas. Is that looking likely? It's, I mean, you said it, both series are tied at two. So now they're both basically a best of three. You know, first first team to win two is going to win. But the Canadians were up 2-1. And then last game, I mean, they went to overtime. And if they had been able to pull that out in overtime and go up 3-1, you would be thinking that they're going to make it. But now you have the Golden Knights with a little bit of momentum, got the series back to 2-2, and they have to think they're the better team. And now, you know, getting the series back to even, I think Vegas is going to come through. The big controversy right now is the the goalies for Vegas. So Marc-Andre Fleury has been pretty much starting all playoff series uh, versus Liner, who hasn't been. He's been the backup. But last year, Fleury was the starter all season, but then they went with Liner in the playoffs. So it's this big flip now that they've switched in the playoffs this year. Uh, but Flurry made a terrible mistake to let them down two one. And they actually benched them last game and won. So now it's this big controversy of who do you play? Kind of like what we talked about with the, with the Mount and Grealish, you know, you have a goalie who made a, who's been playing your starter all season, but makes one bad mistake. You bench him the next game and the other goalie wins. Do you stick with the hot goalie or do you go back to your goalie? You've, relied on all year who just happened to make a terrible play to to lose you a game so that's the big controversy going into game five and it hasn't been announced yet because the game won't be until tomorrow so i mean you know you know what they say in hockey it all it all comes down to the hot keeper so yep hot goalie (laughs) yeah goalie or i'll call him i'll just call him the tenders you need you need a hot sweet hot tender in there (laughs) Hot chicken tender. Hot chicken tender, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a spicy chicken tender and that. Uh, I'll be happy if I know. Yeah, that so tender. that's uh, – that will be – yeah. Like, like we said, you know, all season that would be super impressive if if you can nail that Canadian's pick. And then the other series is also tied 2-2, and it's been a great back and forth. I mean, both series right now are, are top-notch. So it's good hockey to watch. It's always fun. And I'll, most of them are going into overtime almost every game, so – I mean, Frank, I love it when you pick because usually it goes the other way. So you're picking Vegas and... I would pick Vegas and Tampa Bay Lightning. And who wins out of those in the final? That would be a great final. Probably Tampa. Back to back. I look forward to that not happening. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Any other topics from the world of sports or elsewhere that have caught your respective eyes over the past few few days? No, I'm good. <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> uh, for context, I'm I'm, I'm gonna save. I'm gonna actually not even bother to edit this. So for context, uh, as we were finishing up the recording of this um, episode, some some breaking news, I guess, of sorts came in that Carl Nassib 
had made an announcement and said that he was he was gay. Um, so we thought it was maybe important that we acknowledge or react to it, just as we have touched on topics of diversity and, and various other things at, at times. Um, the statement itself, we don't have a tremendous amount of information and in that all we did was listen to the, the video that he posted on Instagram. The statement itself seemed you know, very well thought out and eloquent. Um, the fact that he you know, addressed the, you know, the idea that hopefully in the future players don't need to make statements like this and that it just, should just be A, kind of no one's business, but also in no way newsworthy if a player is gay or not. Um, I think that is an important message to send to people. But yeah, no, it's uh, it will be interesting to see how the rest of the NFL reacts. But also, just thought it was maybe something that was worth us was talking about briefly. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, it's it's extremely kind of like brave and encouraging as well that someone's been able to do it because being that first is it must just be insane. Just to to have no idea. Like I, I think we all know in this day and age that. 99% of people are going to be tolerant, understanding, you know, caring, accepting. But it is just that idea of you don't know how people will react. You don't know if social media is going to blow up. You don't know what's going to happen. So it's a bit of a leap into the unknown, but it's a hell of a leap. And I think it's extremely brave of him to do it. And as you say, he came out and said, I don't want this to be a thing, but he's he's been struggling with it for a long time in his life, like 15 years, and he's only, what, 26, 28? So it's a, it's a long time yeah. to wrestle with something. So, um, I mean, I can certainly relate. So I'm just kind of happy for the guy, really, that he's able to kind of get something off his chest that he's been battling. Yeah, and you bring up a good point, too, to social media. I think, uh, I mean, obviously I have no idea, but I can only imagine that the it, you have to be even more concerned and more nervous being in the being in a career where you're always in the public eye, right? And there's always going to be people that are just going to be vindictive and hateful no matter what. And you kind of are on a podium where you can get things thrown at you from every different direction. You know, like he goes to, he goes to play, a, you know, his game and he's got fans that are going to yell things potentially. And you have, you put up any new post you put on up on Instagram, you're going to have a million different people potentially posting, you know? So it's, being in that spotlight too, in a, in a sport where he is going to be now the first openly active NFL player, you are opening yourself up to potential um, instances and, and things that are going to happen. So it's, yeah, it's, it's super brave. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad to say, right. It's a sad reflection of our society, but he, he's going to have to have very thick skin. Like there is no way that it, on social media or even at, as you're right, fans in stadiums or even players during games are not going to make comments to him. So you would hope that, and again, this is kind of sad to say, you would hope that in him making this statement, he has already been perhaps open about this with teammates. So maybe the positive sign is that the league itself and the players themselves are maybe more accepting than perhaps we might've thought. Not that there's any reason why they shouldn't be, but right, I think part of the risk is you are in that locker room environment, which is quite is kind of t- a tough subject to talk about. But with it football, right, it's quite uh, sort of uh, 
erotically charged sort of homosexually sometimes in the interactions between in locker rooms between men in a way, but also incredibly homophobic. Like it's a weird juxtaposition of the way, particularly in America, men interact each, with each other in locker rooms. But then as soon as the possibility of one of them being gay gets thrown into that mix, then all of a sudden whipping each other with, you know, when they're naked with towels becomes awful, but doing it when you were supposed, supposed to be straight men, it was all fun and games. So it will be, I ho- I mean, it will be interesting to see if there's any, how players in the locker room deal with it. But I hope that this means that some of his teammates will have known about this over the past few years. And he feels like it is a league that it in no way is going to sort of, he's going to be ostracized by fellow players for having come out. Yeah, I know. I, I think, I, I think just, again, it, it just goes back to being that kind of trailblazer in this scenario, right? Is that he, hopefully gives other people i mean let's be honest there's other people like there's a reason you say openly or publicly is is because there's probably a lot of people that are privately whether they're suffering or accepting that their private is completely their choice but if it does lead to a more open topic and conversation where not only the people that are in the nfl right now may feel comfortable to do it but the people you know that are 15 years back you know that are playing at the moment that are 13, 14, 15, 16 and going through it and they see someone that is gay and in the NFL, then there becomes this concept of it is okay. And then, you know, slowly but surely more and more people may feel comfortable to do it. And it kind of snowballs to a better, more tolerant, open kind of scenario within sport, which is good. Yeah, hundred percent. I think for encouraging other people to be comfortable and at ease with their sexuality, it's a great example. And to show that it's not just a certain type of person who's gay, right? Like it is showing that anyone and everyone, that your sexuality is not in any way, it doesn't impact the rest of your life or your personality or what you enjoy or what you don't. Uh, I think that's an important message to send. And equally also, hopefully that for the the straight players in the league or within football starts to show the fact that that's also the case. So being like, well, it's not one of us, right? Like none of us would be gay. And now coming to having to say like, well, no, any one of any one of your teammates could or may be gay and that that doesn't change who they are or the way that you should interact with them. So yeah, it's a powerful message to send also in particular within an extremely conservative league by nature and quite a conservative fan base. So that is going to be interesting to see how that gets received. Um, and also... The NFL's had a little bit of that backlash, right, for trying to keep, and in no way, it's a delicate one, but this is in no way a political issue, but you obviously had that huge backlash within American sports and even in in European sports with the kneeling and stuff of people being so adamant that they want to keep politics out of sports. It's going to be interesting to see if the people who want to be critical of this decision don't frame it. They don't want to come across as homophobic, but the decision, the argument is going to be more like this shouldn't come into it. Like we shouldn't, we shouldn't need to know the sexuality of our athletes, even though they're going to be the same people who are probably going to love reading stories about Patrick Mahomes' new home and his wife and their dog and whether or not they're going to have children. So they're going to love reading about they their personal life. Yeah, but they're going to, you know, but you know what I mean? They're going to be love reading about their personal lives when they think it's the personal life that they think is correct or that they want. 
And then as soon as it's a little bit different, it's like, well, no, 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 keep that out of sports. I don't want to, I don't want to see that. All right. Any other, uh, any other topics that have caught your eye from the world of sport around? <laughs> I look forward to another brave piece of breaking news coming through as soon as we've wrapped up this little discussion. No, I think that's, that should be about it. As long as we get off the call soon enough before something else breaks. I hear that uh, season two, a new trailer for season two of Ted Lasso just dropped. Eddie, is that really of the same breaking news caliber that we need to discuss oh that God. at the same time? Well, <laughs> I'm going to say that Ted Lasso, obviously a former football coach before he went over to England to try and lead, well, who is it, AFC Richmond? Is that the name of the fictional team he's in, yeah. managing? To, to glory, albeit perhaps failure in England there is a there is a coach a head coach who you know would be accepting of all his his players regardless of their sexuality ethnicity religion or anything else about their background because it's made by apple (laughs) oh is that the reason because everyone knows that apple doesn't have a bad bone in his body (laughs) have you seen frank you can actually buy the ted lasso official merchandise now so you can buy like the afc richmond kit and things like that oh i kind of like that i like that idea do you <laughs> a little <laughs> now bit. here's the question if you buy the afc richmond kit do you then become part of their success in future seasons <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you have yeah. to then buy potentially a new kit in season two or something yeah. when afc when, a, when afc richmond win the champions league in season seven are you if you've got like this I have like one percent in yeah. it, Eddie. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm on board with that with that idea. Yeah, so actually maybe we'll watch the trailer and then we can discuss it on Thursday. I'll watch the season. And Sam can watch season one first. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I'll talk to you boys later. Bye.